Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. First half of Chapter 28, Reductionism. Okay, Harry said, swallowing. Okay, Hermione, it's enough. You can stop. The white sugar pill in front of Hermione still hadn't changed shape or color at all, even though she was concentrating harder than Harry had ever seen. Her eyes squeezed shut, beads of sweat on her forehead, hand trembling as it gripped the wand. Hermione, stop! It's not going to work, Hermione. I don't think we can make things that don't exist yet. Slowly, Hermione's hand relaxed its grasp on the wand. I thought I felt it, she said in a bare whisper. I thought I felt it start to transfigure, just for a second. There was a lump in Harry's throat. You were probably imagining it, hoping too hard. I probably was, she said. She looked like she wanted to cry. Slowly, Harry took his mechanical pencil in his hand and reached over to the sheet of paper with all the items crossed out, and drew a line through the item that said, Alzheimer's Cure. They couldn't have fed anyone a transfigured pill, but transfiguration, at least the kind they could do, didn't enchant the targets. It wouldn't transfigure a regular broomstick into a flying one. So if Hermione had been able to make a pill at all, it would have been a non-magical pill, one that worked for ordinary material reasons. They could have secretly made pills for a muggle science lab, let them study the pills, and try to reverse engineer them before the transfiguration wore off. No one in either world would need to know that magic had been involved. It would just be another scientific breakthrough. It hadn't been the sort of thing a wizard would think of either. They didn't respect mere patterns of atoms that much. They didn't think of unenchanted material things as objects of power. If it wasn't magical, it wasn't interesting. Earlier, Harry had very secretly, he hadn't even told Hermione, tried to transfigure nanotechnology a la Eric Drexler. He tried to produce a desktop nanofactory, of course, not tiny self-replicating assemblers. Harry wasn't insane. It would have been godhood in a single shot if it worked. That was it for today, right? Said Hermione. She was slumped back in her chair, leaning her head against the back, and her face showed her tiredness, which was very unusual for Hermione. She liked to pretend she was limitless, at least when Harry was around. One more, Harry said cautiously. But that one's small, plus it might actually work. I saved it for last because I was hoping we could end on an up note. It's real stuff, not like phasers. They've already made it in the laboratory, not like the Alzheimer's cure. And it's a generic substance, not specific like the lost books you tried to transfigure copies of. I made a diagram of the molecular structure to show you. We just want to make it longer than it's ever been made before, and with all the tubes aligned, and the endpoints embedded in diamond. Harry produced a sheet of graph paper. Hermione sat back up, took it, and studied it, frowning. These are all carbon atoms? And Harry, what's the name? I can't transfigure it if I don't know what it's called. Harry made a disgusted face. He was still having trouble getting used to that sort of thing. It shouldn't matter what something was named if you knew what it was. They're called bucky tubes, or carbon nanotubes. It's a kind of fullerene that was discovered just this year. It's about a hundred times stronger than steel and a sixth of the weight. Hermione looked up from the graph paper, her face surprised. That's real? Yeah. Just hard to make the muggle way. If we could get enough of the stuff, we could use it to build a space elevator all the way up to geosynchronous orbit or higher. And in terms of Delta V, that's halfway to anywhere in the solar system. Plus, we could throw out solar power satellites like confetti. Hermione was frowning again. Is this stuff safe? I don't see why it wouldn't be. 
A Bucky tube is just a graphite sheet wrapped into a circular tube, basically. And graphite is the same stuff used in pencils. I know what graphite is, Harry, Hermione said. She brushed her hair back absentmindedly, her eyebrows furrowed as she stared at the sheet of paper. Harry reached into a pocket of his robes and produced a white thread tied to two small gray plastic rings at either end. He'd added drops of superglue where the thread met either ring to make it all a single object that could be transfigured as a whole. Cyanocrylate, if Harry remembered correctly, worked by covalent bonds, and that was as close to being a solid object as you ever got in a world ultimately composed of tiny individual atoms. When you're ready, try to transfigure this into a set of aligned bucky tube fibers embedded in two solid diamond rings. All right, Hermione said slowly. Harry, I feel like I just missed something. Harry shrugged helplessly. Maybe you're just tired. He knew better than to say it aloud, though. Hermione laid her wand against one plastic ring and stared for a while. Two small circles of glittering diamond lay on the table, connected by a long black thread. It changed, said Hermione. She sounded like she was trying to be enthusiastic, but had run out of energy. Now what? Harry felt a bit deflated by his research partner's lack of passion, but did his best not to show it. Maybe the same process would work in reverse to cheer her up. Now I test it to see if it holds weight! There was an A-frame Harry had rigged up to do an earlier experiment with diamond rods. You could make solid diamond objects easily, using transfiguration, they just wouldn't last. The earlier experiment had measured whether transfiguring a long diamond rod into a shorter diamond rod would allow it to lift a suspended heavy weight as it contracted. I.e., could you transfigure against tension, which in fact you could. Harry carefully looped one circle of glittering diamond over the thick metal hook at the top of the rig, then attached a thick metal hanger to the bottom ring, and then started attaching weights to the hanger. Harry had asked the Weasley twins to transfigure the apparatus for him, and the Weasley twins had given him an incredulous look, like they couldn't figure out what sort of prank he could possibly want that for. But they hadn't asked any questions. And their transfigurations, according to them, lasted for about three hours, so Harry and Hermione still had a while left. 100 kilograms, Harry said about a minute later. I don't think a steel thread this thin would hold that. It should go up much higher, but that's all the weight I've got. There was a further silence. Harry straightened up and went back to their table and sat down in his chair and ceremoniously made a check mark next to Bucky Tubes. There! That one worked! But it's not really useful, Harry, is it? Hermione said from where she was sitting with her head resting in her hands. I mean, even if we gave it to a scientist, they couldn't learn how to make lots of bucky tubes from studying ours. They might be able to learn something. Hermione, look at it. That tiny little thread holding up all that weight. We just made something that no muggle laboratory could make. But any other witch could make it, Hermione said. Her exhaustion was coming into her voice now. Harry, I don't think that this is working out. You mean our relationship? Great! Let's break up! That got a slight grin out of her. I mean, our research. Oh, Hermione! How could you? You're sweet when you're mean. But Harry, this is nuts. I'm 12, you're 11. It's silly to think we're going to discover anything that no one's ever figured out before. Are you really saying we should give up on unraveling the secrets of magic after trying for less than one month? Harry said, trying to put a note of challenge into his voice. Honestly, he was feeling some of the same fatigue as Hermione. None of the good ideas ever worked. He'd made just one discovery worth mentioning, the Mendelian pattern, and he couldn't tell Hermione about it without breaking his promise to Draco. No, Hermione said. Her young face was looking very serious and adult. I'm saying right now we should be studying all the magic the wizards already know, so we can do this sort of thing after we graduate from Hogwarts. Um, 
Hermione, I hate to put it this way, but imagine we decided to hold off on research until later, and the first thing we tried after we graduated was transfiguring an Alzheimer's cure. And it worked! We'd feel... I don't think the word stupid would adequately describe how we'd feel. What if there's something else like that and it does work? That's not fair, Harry, Hermione said. Her voice was trembling like she was on the verge of breaking out crying. You can't put that on people. It's not our job to do that sort of thing. We're kids. For a moment, Harry wondered what would happen if someone told Hermione she had to fight an immortal Dark Lord. If she would turn into one of those whiny, self-pitying heroes that Harry could never stand reading about in his books. Anyway, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't believe children can do things that grown-ups can't. That's only in stories. There was silence in the classroom. Hermione started to look a little scared, and Harry knew that his own expression had gotten colder. It might not have hurt so much if the same thought hadn't already come to Harry. That, while 30 might be old for a scientific revolutionary, and 20 was about right, while there were people who'd got doctorates when they were 17, and 14-year-old heirs who'd been great kings or generals, there wasn't really anyone who'd made the history books at 11. All right, figure out how to do something a grown-up can't. Is that your challenge? I didn't mean it like that, Hermione said, her voice coming out in a frightened whisper. With an effort, Harry wrenched his gaze away from Hermione. I'm not angry at you, Harry said. His voice was cold, despite his best efforts. I'm angry at, I don't know, everything. But I'm not willing to lose, Hermione. Losing isn't always the right thing to do. I'll figure out how to do something a grown wizard can't do, and then I'll get back to you. How's that? There was more silence. Okay, said Hermione, her voice wavering a little. She pushed herself up out of her chair and went over to the door of the abandoned classroom they'd been working in. Her hand went onto the doorknob. We're still friends, right? And if you can't figure out anything... Her voice halted. Then we'll study together, Harry said. His voice was even colder now. Um, bye for now then, Hermione said, and she quickly went out of the room and shut the door behind her. Sometimes, Harry hated having a dark side, even when he was inside it. And the part of him that had thought exactly the same thing as Hermione, that no, children couldn't do what grown-ups couldn't, was saying all the things that Hermione had been too frightened to say. Like, that's one hell of a difficult challenge you just grabbed for yourself. And, boy are you going to end up with egg on your face this time. And, at least this way, you'll know you failed. And the part of him that didn't enjoy losing replied, in a very cold voice, Fine. You can shut up and watch. It was almost lunchtime, and Harry didn't care. He hadn't even bothered grabbing a snack bar from his pouch. His stomach could stand a little starving. The wizarding world was tiny. They didn't think like scientists. They didn't know science. They didn't question what they'd grown up with. They hadn't put protective shells on their time machines. They played Quidditch. All of Magical Britain was smaller than a small muggle city. The greatest wizarding school only educated up to the age of 17. Silly wasn't challenging that at 11. Silly was assuming wizards knew what they were doing and had already exhausted all the low-hanging fruit a scientific polymath would see. Step one had been to make a list of every magical constraint Harry could remember, all the things you supposedly couldn't do. Step two, mark the constraints that seem to make the least sense from a scientific perspective. Step three, prioritize constraints that a wizard would be unlikely to question if they didn't know science. Step four, 
come up with avenues for attacking them. Hermione still felt a little shaky as she sat down next to Mandy at the Ravenclaw table. Hermione's lunch had two fruits, tomato slices and peeled tangerines, three vegetables, carrots, carrots, and more carrots, one meat, fried Diracol drumsticks whose unhealthy coating she would carefully remove, and one little piece of chocolate cake she would earn by eating the other parts. It hadn't been as bad as potions class. Sometimes she still had nightmares about that. But this time she had made it happen, and she'd felt like its target. Just for a moment, before the terrible cold darkness looked away and said it wasn't angry with her, because it hadn't wanted to scare her. And she still had that feeling like she'd missed something earlier, something really important. But they hadn't violated any of the rules of transfiguration, had they? They hadn't made any liquids, any gases. They hadn't taken orders from the defense professor. The pill! That had been something to be eaten! Well, no, nobody would just eat a pill lying around. It hadn't worked, actually. They could have just finite incantatumed it if it had, but she would still have to tell Harry about that and make sure they didn't mention it in front of Professor McGonagall in case they were never allowed to study Transfiguration again. Hermione was starting to get a really sick feeling in her stomach. She pushed back her plate from the table. She couldn't eat lunch like this. And she closed her eyes and began to mentally recite the rules of transfiguration. I will never transfigure anything into liquid or gas. I will never transfigure anything that looks like food or anything else that goes inside a human body. No, they really shouldn't have tried to transfigure the pill. Or they should have at least realized. She'd been so caught up in Harry's brilliant idea that she hadn't thought. The sick feeling in Hermione's stomach was getting worse. There was a feeling in her mind of something hovering just on the edge of recognition, a perception about to invert itself. A young woman about to become a crone, a vase about to become two faces. And she went on remembering the rules of transfiguration. Harry's knuckles had gone white on his wand by the time he stopped trying to transfigure the air in front of his wand into a paperclip. It wouldn't have been safe to transfigure the paperclip into gas, of course, but Harry didn't see any possible reason why it would be unsafe the other way around. It just wasn't supposed to be possible. But why not? Air was as real a substance as anything else. Well, maybe that limitation did make sense. Air was disorganized, all the molecules constantly changing their relation to each other. Maybe you couldn't impose a new form on substance unless the substance was staying still long enough for you to master it. Even though the atoms and solids were also constantly vibrating all the time. The more Harry failed, the colder he felt, the cleaner everything seemed to become. All right, next on the list. You could only transfigure whole objects as holes. You couldn't transfigure half a match into a needle, you had to transfigure the whole thing. Back when Harry had been trapped in the classroom by Draco, it had been the reason he couldn't just transfigure a thin cylindrical cross-section of the walls into sponge and punch out a chunk of stone large enough for him to fit through the hole. He would have needed to impose a new form on the whole wall, and maybe the whole section of Hogwarts, just in order to change that little cross-section. And that was ridiculous. Things were made of atoms. Lots of tiny little dots. There was no contiguity. There was no solidity. Just electromagnetic forces holding the little dots related to each other. Mandy Brocklehurst paused with her fork on the way to her mouth. Huh? She said to Sue Lee, sitting across from the now-empty space beside her. What got into Hermione? 
Harry wanted to kill his eraser. He'd been trying to change a single spot on the pink rectangle into steel, apart from the rest of the rubber, and the eraser wasn't cooperating. It had to be a conceptual limitation, not a real one. Had to be. Things were made of atoms, and every atom was a tiny separate thing. Atoms were held together by a quantum mist of shared electrons, for covalent bonds, or sometimes just magnetism at close ranges, for ionic bonds or van der Waals forces. If it came down to that, the protons and neutrons inside the nuclei were tiny separate things. The quarks inside the protons and neutrons were tiny separate things. There simply wasn't anything in reality, the world out there, that corresponded to people's conceit of solid objects. It was all just little dots. And free transfiguration was all in the mind to begin with, wasn't it? No words, no gestures, only the pure concept of form, kept strictly separate from substance, imposed on the substance, conceived of apart from its form. That and the wand and whatever made you a wizard. The wizards couldn't transform parts of things, could only transform what their minds perceived as wholes, because they didn't know in their bones that it was all just atoms deep down. Harry had focused on that knowledge as hard as he could. The true fact that the eraser was just a collection of atoms. Everything was just collections of atoms. And the atoms of the little patch he was trying to transfigure formed just as valid a collection as any other collection he cared to think about. And Harry still hadn't been able to change that single part of the eraser. The transfiguration wasn't going anywhere. This. Was. Ridiculous. Harry's knuckles were whitening on his wand again. He was sick of getting experimental results that didn't make sense. Maybe the fact that some part of his mind was still thinking in terms of objects was stopping the transfiguration from going through. He had thought of a collection of atoms that was an eraser. He had thought of a collection that was a little patch. Time to kick it up a notch. Harry pressed his wand harder against that tiny section of eraser and tried to see through the illusion that non-scientists thought was reality. The world of desks and chairs, air and erasers and people. When you walked through a park, the immersive world that surrounded you was something that existed inside your own brain as a pattern of neurons firing. The sensation of a bright blue sky wasn't something high above you, it was something in your visual cortex. And your visual cortex was in the back of your brain. All the sensations of that bright world were really happening in that quiet cave of bone you called your skull. The place where you lived and never, ever left. If you really wanted to say hello to someone, to the actual person, you wouldn't shake their hand. You would knock gently on their skull and say, How are you doing in there? That was what people were. That was where they really lived. And the picture of the park that you thought you were walking through was something that was visualized inside your brain as it processed the signals that were sent down through your eyes and retina. It wasn't a lie like the Buddhists thought. There wasn't something terribly mystical and unexpected behind the veil of Maya. What lay beyond the illusion of the park was just the actual park. But it was all still illusion. Harry wasn't sitting inside the classroom. He wasn't looking at the eraser. Harry was inside Harry's skull. He was experiencing a processed picture his brain had decoded from the signals sent down by his retina. The real eraser was somewhere else, somewhere that wasn't the picture. And the real eraser wasn't like the picture Harry's brain had of it. The idea of the eraser as a solid object was something that existed only inside his own brain, inside the parietal cortex that processed his sense of shape and space. The real eraser was a collection of atoms held together by electromagnetic forces and shared covalent electrons, while nearby, air molecules bounced off each other and bounced off the eraser molecules. 
The real eraser was far away, and Harry, inside a skull, could never quite touch it, could only imagine ideas about it. But his wand had the power. It could change things out there in reality. It was only Harry's own perceptions that were limiting it. Somewhere beyond the veil of Maya, the truth behind Harry's concept of my wand was touching the collection of atoms that Harry's mind thought of as a patch on the eraser. And if that wand could change the collection of atoms that Harry considered the whole eraser, there was absolutely no reason why it couldn't change the other collection too. The transfiguration still wasn't going through. Harry's teeth clenched together and he kicked it up another notch. The concept Harry's mind had of the eraser as a single object was obvious nonsense. It was a map that didn't and couldn't match the territory. Human beings modeled the world using stratified levels of organization. They had separate thoughts about how countries worked, how people worked, how organs worked, how cells worked, how molecules worked, how quarks worked. When Harry's brain needed to think about the eraser, it would think about the rules that governed erasers, like erasers can get rid of pencil marks. Only if Harry's brain needed to predict what would happen on the lower chemical level, only then would Harry's brain start thinking, as though it were a separate fact, about rubber molecules. But that was all in the mind. Harry's mind might have separate beliefs about rules that governed erasers, but there was no separate law of physics that governed erasers. Harry's mind modeled reality using multiple levels of organization, with different beliefs about each level. But that was all in the map. The true territory wasn't like that. Reality itself had only a single level of organization, the quarks. It was a unified, low-level process obeying mathematically simple rules. Or at least, that was what Harry had believed before he'd found out about magic. But the eraser wasn't magical. And even if the eraser had been magical, the idea is that there could really exist a single solid eraser was impossible. Things like erasers couldn't be basic elements of reality. They were too big and complicated to be atoms. They had to be made of parts. You couldn't have things that were fundamentally complicated. The implicit belief that Harry's brain had in the eraser as a single object wasn't just wrong. It was a map territory confusion. The eraser only existed as a separate concept in Harry's multi-level model of the world, not as a separate element of single-level reality. The transfiguration still wasn't happening. Harry was breathing heavily. Failed transfiguration was almost as tiring as successful transfiguration. But damned if he'd give up now. Alright, screw this 19th century garbage. Reality wasn't atoms. It wasn't a set of tiny billiard balls bopping around. That was just another lie. The notion of atoms as little dots was just another convenient hallucination that people clung to because they didn't want to confront the inhumanly alien shape of the underlying reality. No wonder, then, that his attempts to transfigure based on that hadn't worked. If he wanted power, he had to abandon his humanity and force his thoughts to conform to the true math of quantum mechanics. There were no particles. There were just clouds of amplitude in a multi-particle configuration space. And what his brain fondly imagined to be an eraser was nothing except a gigantic factor of a wave function that happened to factorize. It didn't have a separate existence any more than there was a particular solid factor of 3 hidden inside the number 6. If his wand was capable of altering factors in an approximately factorizable wave function, then it should damn well be able to alter the slightly smaller factor that Harry's brain visualized as a patch of material on the eraser.
Hermione tore through the hallways, shoes pounding hard on the stone, breath coming in pants, the shock of adrenaline still racing through her blood. Like a picture of a young woman turning into an old crone, like the cup becoming two faces. What had they been doing? What had they been doing? She came to the classroom and her fingers slipped on the doorknob at first, too sweaty. She grabbed harder and the door opened. In a single flash of perception, she saw Harry staring at a small pink rectangle on the table in front of him. And a few paces away, the tiny black thread, almost invisible from this distance, supported all that weight. Harry, get out of the classroom! Pure shock crossed Harry's face, and he stood up so fast he almost fell over, stopping only to grab the small pink rectangle from the table, and he tore out of the door. She'd already stepped aside. Her wand was already in her hand, coming up, pointing at the thread. Finite incantatum! And Hermione slammed the door shut again, just as the gigantic crash of a hundred kilograms of falling metal <laughs> She was panting, gasping for air. She'd run all the way here without stopping. She was soaked in sweat and her legs and thighs burned like living flames. She couldn't have answered Harry's questions for all the galleons in the world. Hermione blinked and realized she had started to fall, and Harry had caught her and was lowering her gently to sit on the floor. Healthy, she managed to whisper. What? said Harry, looking paler than she'd ever seen him. Are you feeling healthy? Harry started looking even more frightened as the question sank in. I... I don't think I have any symptoms. Hermione closed her eyes for a moment. Good. She whispered. Catch breath. That took a while. Harry was still looking scared. That was good, too. Maybe it would teach him a lesson. Hermione reached into the pouch Harry had bought her, whispered, Water. Through her parched throat, took out the bottle, and drank in great huge gulps. And then it was still a little while before she could talk again. We broke the rules, Harry. She said in a hoarse voice. We broke the rules. I... Harry swallowed. I still don't see how. I've been thinking, but... I asked if the transfiguration was safe and you answered me. There was a pause. That's it, Harry said. She could have screamed. Harry, don't you get it? It's made out of tiny fibers. What if it unraveled? Who knows what could go wrong? We didn't ask Professor McGonagall. Don't you see what we were doing? We were experimenting with transfiguration. We were experimenting with transfiguration. There was another pause. Right, Harry said slowly. That's probably one of the things they don't even bother telling you not to do because it's too obvious. Don't test brilliant new ideas for transfiguration by yourselves in an unused classroom without consulting any professors. You could have gotten us killed, Harry. Hermione knew it wasn't fair. She'd made the mistake too, but she still felt angry at him. He always sounded so confident, and that had dragged her unthinkingly along in his wake. We could have spoiled Professor McGonagall's perfect record. Yes, let's not tell her about this, shall we? We have to stop. We have to stop this or we're going to get hurt. We're too young, Harry. We can't do this. Not yet. A weak grin crossed Harry's face. Um, you're sort of wrong about that. And he held out a small pink rectangle, a rubber eraser with a bright metal patch on it. Hermione stared at it, puzzled. Quantum mechanics wasn't enough. I had to go all the way down to timeless physics before it took. Had to see the wand as enforcing a relation between separate past and future realities, instead of changing anything over time. But I did it, Hermione. I saw past the illusion of objects, and I bet there's not a single other wizard in the world who could have. Even if some muggle-born knew about timeless formulation of quantum mechanics, it would just be a weird belief about strange, distant quantum stuff. 
they wouldn't see that it was reality, except that the world they knew was just a hallucination. I transfigured part of the eraser without changing the whole thing. Hermione raised her wand again, pointed it at the eraser. For a moment, anger crossed Harry's face, but he didn't make any move to stop her. Finite incantatum. Check with Professor McGonagall before you try it again. Harry nodded, though his face was still a little bit tight. And we still have to stop. Why? Don't you see what this means, Hermione? Wizards don't know everything. There's too few of them, even fewer who know science. They haven't exhausted the low-hanging fruit. It's not safe. If we can find out new things, it's even less safe. We're too young. We made one big mistake already. Next time we could just die. Then Hermione flinched. Harry looked away from her and started taking slow, deep breaths. Please don't try to do it alone, Harry, Hermione said, her voice trembling. Please? Please don't make me have to decide whether to tell Professor Flitwick. There was a long pause. So you want us to study, Harry said. She could tell he was trying to keep the anger out of his voice. Just study. Hermione wasn't sure if she should say anything, but... Like you studied, um, timeless physics, right? Harry looked back at her. That thing you did. It wasn't because of our experiments, right? You could do it because you've read lots of books. Harry opened his mouth, and then he shut it again. There was a frustrated look on his face. All right, how about this? We study, and if I think of anything that seems really worth trying, we'll try it after I ask a professor. Okay. She didn't fall over with relief, but only because she was already sitting down. Shall we get lunch? Harry said cautiously. Hermione nodded. Yes, lunch sounded good. For real this time. She carefully began to push herself off the stone floor, wincing as her body screamed at her. Harry pointed his wand at her and said, Wingardium Leviosa! Hermione blinked as the huge weight on her legs diminished to something bearable. A smile quirked across Harry's face. You can lift something without being able to hover it completely, he said. Remember that experiment? Hermione smiled back helplessly, although she thought she ought to still be angry. And she started walking back toward the Great Hall, feeling remarkably and wonderfully light on her feet, as Harry carefully kept his wand trained on her. He only managed to keep it up for five minutes, but it was the thought that counted. End first half of chapter 28. Thanks again to the voice of Hermione Granger. Also, if you haven't seen it yet, there's an awesome video out there of Stephen Colbert interviewing Neil deGrasse Tyson for about an hour, mostly seriously. They don't get into any topic in real depth, but the passion that Neil deGrasse Tyson has for science is contagious and just always sets me on fire, so I'm including a link in the description as well. Hope you enjoyed as much as I did. The original text for this chapter can be found at fanfiction.net or by googling Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, and there is also a link included in this file's description. Recordings, questions, and comments can be sent to hpmorpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please help spread the word at your social forum of choice. If you're interested in learning more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. A link to the attributions page is found in this file's description. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Come back next week for the conclusion of Chapter 28 and the first half of Chapter 29, Egocentric Bias. Egocentric Bias